Well, good morning. God bless you guys. I have looked forward to this day. I've looked forward to this occasion for some time now. A few months ago, Valerie and I put a pre-invitation on the table for Fred and Judy Bartlett, and we encouraged them to prayerfully consider accepting the role and the responsibilities as assistant pastors for Triumphant Grace Ministries. And then after that moment, we just stepped away from it and we allowed that invitation to just marinate in their heart for some time. A few months later, we revisited that conversation and then we married it with a date to make it official and that day has come, it's here today. And at the end of the message today, at the end of this service, uh, we will set forth Fred and Judy Bartlett as assistant pastors for Triumphant Grace Ministries. Today I wanna to minister through a message I'm calling the symphony of love. The word symphony comes from the Greek word symphonia, so it's very similar, but it means agreement or unity of sound. Symphony, it means it's in agreement, it's in unity. This is the way heaven works, friends. Heaven has a language, it's a perfect language. It's the rhythm called love. And I don't know as though we can say that that love was expressed any dearer than to say, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever. I love that part because that wraps its arms around the world. It's arms around every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. For God so loved the world. There is love expressed in that, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I've said it many times in the past. There is no human being on earth that I would give one of my sons up for. Be honest with yourselves. You would feel the same way if it came down to your son living or someone else. We're very partial to our sons and daughters, right? And so we can see the magnitude. We can see the symphony. We can see the orchestration of God's amazing love that he would orchestrate a time and a place for Jesus to be born. He would orchestrate a time and a place for Jesus to be crucified. He would see all of this before he gave us Jesus. What an amazing love. I think sometimes we've heard John 3.16 so many times that we just don't think about it too much anymore. We glaze over it. But it is one of those scriptures that I believe if you'll really begin to meditate on it, and just look at the heart behind that. For God so loved the world that he hand-delivered Jesus. I couldn't do that. I honestly couldn't. I could give up myself to see that another man lives and spends an eternity in heaven, but there's just no way I could give up one of my children. And so love, if you think about it, has this sound to it. We recognize it when we hear it. Love has this ring to it. Love indelibly inscribes pictures on our hearts. Love is not an etch-a-sketch that disappears when it's shaken. Because believe me, there are times when I've been shaken to the core. There were times when Jesus was shaken to the core. In fact, when he hung on the cross, when they would put the cross into the ground, they would nail you and then they would bring it up and with a thud, it would drive down into a large hole and you would be shaken at the core when that happened. But love does not disappear when it's shaken. Love is an orchestra of praise, finely tuned instruments that express themselves through things like patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and honor and respect and praise. We would never know love if we didn't see it or hear it expressed. Do you know that? How would you know love unless you saw it in action? How would you know love unless you heard about love? Judy, your name translates as praise. And I have seen over time with my own eyes, and I have heard with my own ears, the praise that is on your lips, not only for the Lord, but the way you lift up other people and praise God for other people. It expresses itself through your life 
and through this symphony of love that God has placed on the inside of you. This is how you recognize love. You see love in people. You see love in their actions. You see love through their words. Where did you learn such love? Where did you get such love? How did you hone out such love? Well, of course we know it's God. God is love. But whole people love well. Broken people don't love as well. It's hard because they're broken. And they don't want to be as close sometimes maybe to the general population or to just everybody. The more whole you get, the more you will see love flowing from you. And that's why we see love in you because God is doing this work on the inside of you, making you more and more complete in your soul, in your mind, your will, your emotions. So let me ask you some questions. Why is it that some people seem to love better? Have you ever noticed that? There are people who just seem to love better. I mean, the symphony of love rises through nearly every word they speak, almost every gesture, almost every deed they do. Their vocal cords working in cosmic rhyme with the language of love. <laughs> Did they take love lessons? No. Did the father measure out a greater portion of love for Fred than he did me. No, I don't think he did that either. Or were they just born more loving? Maybe that's it. They just were one of those babies. That baby was just born more loving. No, friends, that's not it either. What inhibits the symphony of love from being expressed at all times? Ask yourself that question silently in your heart. What is it that inhibits? What gets in the way of love being expressed at all times? You say, man, <laughs> Pastor Mark, I find it hard to love everyone because certain people just irritate me. I get it. There's people that I've been around and I'm telling you, I'm not around more than a minute or two and I feel irritated. And I don't know, they just have a way of irritating me, you know? But let me ask you the question, is that irritation really coming from them or is it coming from within yourself? You see, most of the time, it's our own irritations being triggered by another person's words, another person's actions. So it gets triggered. Now listen to me carefully. The revelation of God's grace serves as the woodwinds of the orchestra. The revelation of God's love for us is like the brass section of the symphony, bellowing out majestic tones and sounds. The revelation of Jesus' finished work on the cross is heard in the gentle percussion of his heart. Can you hear it? The gentle beat of Jesus' heart. And the revelation of the Father's mercy is like the string section of the orchestra working together to produce this beautiful and harmonious sound. All of these instruments serving, working together as the conductor of the symphony of love. See, you wouldn't know love unless you heard it. You wouldn't know love unless you saw it. See, with Holy Spirit, we have a person living on the inside of us that the Old Testament people didn't have. And so they were law-driven. That's how they expressed their love. They couldn't hear his voice unless you were a prophet. But we all get to hear his voice. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of God. Now, I have been in ministry for more than 25 years. The symphony of love has revealed itself countless number of times. It's soothing and celestial sounds. But along the journey, I have also come across a lot of broken strings. Broken strings are rooted typically in broken doctrine and the lies of the enemy. That's where the broken strings come from. I've seen instruments that are not in tune with one another, and you know what it does? It causes discord. It causes divisions. I've seen drum skins, wine skins, whatever you want to call them, that need replacing. Jesus said, you cannot put new wine into an old wine skin or the wine skin will burst and both the wine and the wine skin will be ruined. New wine was the new covenant that Jesus served to his 
disciples in the upper room that night before his crucifixion. And when he would give them the wine, he would say, this is the new covenant in my blood, drink it. He said, but as often as you drink it, he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to be put back into remembrance of what I just said. This is the new covenant in my blood. I want you guys to remember that every time you take communion. In other words, put yourself in remembrance that my kingdom is the symphony of love, not the stringency of law. Do you see the contrast, friends? The symphony of love, the stringency of law. Over these 25 years, I have heard the horns that toot their own justification. While the scriptures tell us, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Friends, we are saved by God's amazing grace and his gift of righteousness through faith. And when the revelation of these truths become our reality, then the symphony of love will ring from the amphitheater of our hearts. What did I just say? What I said was, as those truths really become an absolute reality in your own life, what it does is it helps you to love better. You're not always wrestling with yourself. You're not always wearing yourself out. You are resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I have served literally in every ministry over these 25 years within the church, with the exception of nursery, I never made it there, and I never made it over into women's ministry. But everything else, friends, I have been in over the years. Many of those years was spent as an assistant pastor. How many of you know that if you spend 25 years in ministry, you're going to see a thing or two along the journey? Come on. <laughs> you're going to see a thing or two along the journey, right? Mostly heartwarming, but some heartbreaking as well. Two of the heartwarming things I have encountered along my journey, would you like to know what they are? They are Fred and Judy Bartlett. They are two of the most heartwarming people and friends and real deal people that I have ever met in my life. I don't know of two people on planet Earth that I'm prouder of and inspire me more than Fred and Judy. They are more qualified to serve in the pastoral ministry than they even know themselves. In fact, they have actually already been serving in that role. This is very familiar. I was doing the same thing until my pastor made it official many years ago. You're serving where you're allowed to serve and where you're gifted to serve. So this is an ordination service, sure, but they've already been serving in this capacity. I want you to imagine with me for just a moment, okay? Imagine that you're the senior pastor of your own church. You got that picture in your mind? Are you beyond that terrifying thought? You got that in your mind yet? Come on, <laughs> come on. You're the senior pastor of your own church. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were appointing assistant pastors for your church, what would their qualifications have to be? <laughs> what would they have to be? Oh, you say, boy, they would have had to have went through Bible college. Well, that's great. But that's not the first thing I look for. And it wasn't the first thing that Jesus looked for either when he selected his disciples. He selected ordinary, unschooled men with extraordinary potential. Did you hear that? Ordinary, unschooled, with extraordinary potential. That's all he had available. Well, you say, Pastor Mark, if I was senior pastor of my own church and I was appointing assistant pastors of my church, I would search for men and women whose reputations and lives are beyond reproach. Well, that's great to have people like that in your ministry. It really is. But that's not what Jesus did. Matthew was a tax collector. Peter was a hothead. Thomas was a doubter. And Judas was a betrayer. And that's only four of his disciples. Does it sound like any of these men lived lives beyond reproach? It doesn't, does it? Fred and Judy Bartlett 
live lives beyond reproach. Everything I've ever seen, they live quiet and peaceful lives. They are not serving in the ministry for financial gain. The ministry costs them everything. They do not doubt that this gospel of grace that's ministered through this ministry, this gospel of grace has the power to save, heal, and deliver. They are well-tempered in their mannerisms and they do not betray friendships. Now, if any of these characteristics were not true, I would have seen them by now. How many of you know you can only put so much air in a balloon before it pops, right? I would have seen these by now. We have not only been connected together in ministry for almost six years, but we knew each other for several years before that as well. Through all the pressure-packed situations that Fred and Judy have faced over the last few years, they would have been crushed had they not had the revelation of the symphony of love on the inside of them. Now, I'm going to tell you what qualifications I look for in an assistant pastor or pastoral ministry, and this has changed over the years. Changed only because of maturity. That's it. If you would rewind the calendar back 10 years, you said, Mark, what do you look for in an assistant pastor? They've got to be a charismatic person. They've got to know how to preach the word. You know, I mean, I could have come up with an entire list of things. <laughs> that is definitely not the way I look at it today. The way I look at it today is they must possess a love for God. They must possess a love for the Word, and they must possess a love for people. Anything more than love is peripheral, and anything less than love is pitiful. You see, when it's peripheral, it doesn't mean it's not important, but love is the central theme of the gospel. It's the Father's love. And if you get this down, all this peripheral stuff will make its way in your life and through your life. I look for love toward God and love toward the Word. They, people that treasure the Word because there's life in the Word and people that love people well. And that's who you are, Fred. That's who you are, Judy. You have a love for God. You have a love for the Word. And you have a love for people. Friends, this is the way the Holy Spirit said it to me the other night certificates hanging on the wall are meaningless unless love is hanging from the heart. <laughs> Did you hear that? I'm telling you, put all the certificates you've got on the wall. I've got certificates at home that are not even on my wall. Some are, but there's some that are collecting dust. So what? What are those certificates without love, without the symphony of love ringing in the hearts of man, woman, boy, and girl? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1-8, through 8, I want you to see this from the Passion Translation. I, I just think the Passion Translation just puts a bouquet of flowers in your face every time it reads, don't you? It's beautiful. The Apostle Paul is speaking here. He said, If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages. Now, we have a lot of languages in this world, don't we? In fact, Valerie is watching this historian, this Bible historian guy the other night on television and his guide, they were narrating and said he was fluent in five or six languages. And my brain went, wow, how can you know five or six languages and be fluent in all those languages? Well, a lot of time, a lot of passion goes into learning five languages. But the apostle Paul is taking it a step further. He said, if I could speak fluently, he's saying, in every single language. So he is using hyperbole, but he's at the same time, he's being so extreme here. He's saying, let's just get them all, all of them, many of them, which means all of them. He said, if I could speak with eloquence, that means fluently, in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels. <laughs> Come on. Now we just went above all the earthly languages and we got into the angels who never stutter. They never say the wrong thing. He said, if I could speak in heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. Friends, I played the clanging cymbals a few times in band class. I was a drummer, but every once in a while they put you on the cymbals. And I'm telling you what, uh, that is an annoying instrument. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. 
I mean, you've got these symbols out in front of you and you're marching to the cadence that's going on. You know, when you hit that and it just resounds back into you, just rings back into you, you know. Now imagine a clanging cymbal all by itself. I mean, no other music, nothing to absorb it, but you and your body. It's an annoying instrument. And so there was this one occasion we did this symphony at our high school gymnasium and it was a packed crowd and they allowed me to play the kettle drums in that symphony. But as I thought back on that, I thought I was still just one of many, many instruments. You cannot have a symphony with cymbals alone. You cannot have a symphony with drums alone. You have to bring in all the other instruments, friends. And so you cannot make it in ministry just by some charismatic approach. You have to love and love well. You're like a clanging cymbal. The Apostle Paul just said it. Well, I think one uh, version says you're a resounding gong. You know, I mean, that's even worse, I think, than a cymbal, man. You got to have the other instruments. Everybody's invited to come. They pay their ticket. They come to a symphony. And all you turn out to have is one guy up there banging cymbals. I'm telling you, everybody in their right mind would get up and leave the building in short order, wouldn't they? Wouldn't you? I would be looking for the punchline. What's going on here? I'd be thinking, what's going on here? We got something going on. But I would only be able to tolerate those clanging cymbals before too long, and I would have to get up. And he's talking about earth's many languages and heavenly tongues. And he's saying they are only clanging symbols without love. Now, friends, listen, we can practice loving things. I get it. We can practice being kind. I get it. But I'm telling you, if it's going to come from the core of your heart, then the heart itself has to get changed. And as we get this revelation of God's unconditional love, that he has nothing against me, this revelation of God's unconditional kindness and graces toward me, that I don't have to earn it, I don't have to merit this thing, then what happens is, is he turns on this switch in a sense for me to love him more because I begin to see how precious this gift is that he's given me. I begin to see how precious it was when he said, for God so loved the world. Jesus himself said that. He was talking in third person. He was talking about himself. Jesus told Nicodemus that he said, for God, Nicodemus, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Nicodemus, you're not going to understand it because I haven't been crucified yet, but he's talking about me. Oh, but Nicodemus got it that night, friends. We know that Nicodemus got what Jesus was saying. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy, oh, that's a big gift, isn't it? Everybody wants that gift. He said, if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, being able to prophesy things that you have never heard before, being able to give the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. He said, if I could operate in those kind of hidden secrets, he said, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge. In other words, if I had a flip top head and I could just put books in there and I had this unending knowledge of scripture, you guys would all be impressed, wouldn't you? And he said, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, I could just say to that mountain, move from there to there and you would watch it lift up and move over or whatever the situation was, you guys would be really impressed. But he said, if I had all of that working for me, friends, but have never learned to love, then he said, I'm going to humble myself right now and tell you, then I am nothing. I'm telling you, friends, there's too many people I'm not against the prophetic. I can operate in the prophetic. I'm not against the word of knowledge. I operate in that once in a while. The word of wisdom, absolutely. But I tell you what, if, if I spend my whole day thinking that's all I'm going to do, and then I can't really turn on love for somebody and put my arms around them and speak words of healing into their heart, love them in different ways. The Apostle Paul said, I am nothing. I am a clanging cymbal and a resounding gong. In other words, without love, I'm a violin with one string. Without love, I'm a drum with a torn head. Without love, I'm a horn with a stuck valve. Without love, I'm a woodwind instrument without a reed. Friends, the Father's heart, listen to me, His heart is to restore broken instruments. 
And that's what you and me, us and we, we were all broken at one time. His heart is to restore broken instruments. How does he do this? Through the revelation of love. Through the revelation that he loves you just the way you are. The revelation he's got nothing against you. The revelation that he will never leave you or forsake you. When that revelation sets like concrete in your heart, friends, I'm telling you, you will not be moved here and there. Here one moment, there another, like a wind that moves a boat up on top of the sea. You will not be like that. He places us within the body of Christ so that we strengthen others. How do we do that? I don't think anything works better than the symphony of love. Speaking loving things into their heart. Love, love, love. I believe this ministry is stronger with Fred and Judy in the orchestra than Valerie and I by ourselves. I honestly believe that. That's what Daddy had in mind. Have you ever noticed that a symphony, if you've ever watched one on television, ever been present at one, have you ever noticed that it has order? You just don't randomly come out with your instrument and just take any seat that's available. You don't do that. They are seated so that the baton of the conductor can easily move from one section to another. The kettle drums and the drums were always on the very back row. And I would watch him as he would be doing the different strings and the horns and whatnot. And then he would look like that to me or to the percussion section. And we knew that was us. Otherwise, you were watching that baton and you just followed what he did. So they're seated in an order and God is a God of order and he places people within the body of Christ as he has destined them to be in. He's a God of order. They are seated so that the baton can easily move and not be confused. The Father's baton has made its way to Fred and Judy Bartlett and the result is the symphony of love. The Apostle Paul continues, he says these words, and if I were to be so generous, so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. In other words, if I sat down and I wrote checks until the cows came home, if I gave away everything I had, to feed the poor. If I allowed my body to be burned at the stake, but I don't have love, the Apostle Paul said, I would gain nothing of value. And I love these words. Love is large and incredibly patient. Isn't that true? Big Jesus. Jesus is big. Love is large. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to someone else. I want you to know, you'll find out you're not walking in love if you start getting jealous because somebody else hit the lottery and you didn't. Or someone else got a promotion and you didn't. You're, not, you're just not walking in love, friend. It's okay that daddy doesn't want you to stay stuck there. You're a broken instrument in that area, but he restores broken instruments. How? By the drip of his unconditional love, by the drip of his amazing grace, by the drip of his extravagant mercy. Love does not brag about one's achievements or inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. I love how he ends this dialogue. He says, love never stops loving. And that's what real love looks like. Love never stops loving. I have seen this kind of love flowing from the hearts and from the hands and from the lips of Fred and Judy Bartlett. They are the real deal. Neither of them 
has an Etch-a-Sketch heart that disappears when shaken, friends. Fred and Judy are finely tuned instruments of praise, and they express the Father's goodness through patience and kindness and gentleness and honor and respect and love. They are not easily irritated. You want to know why? Because the revelation of God's unconditional love and the revelation of his extravagant grace have taken root in their hearts. Fred and Judy, you guys are so much more than clanging cymbals. I want you to know that. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and you're seated among us in this symphony of love. Gifts given to the body of Christ by the Father of lights to help us in our time of need and to express the love of the Father throughout the land. Fred and Judy celebrate when blessings come to others. I have never heard them brag about their own achievements. In fact, most of the time you have to drag it out of them, to be honest with you. They never brag about their own achievements and they never inflate their own importance. They have just served where they've been asked to serve and even beyond that. They love when no one's watching. You know how I know that? Because I hear back from people that you have loved when you didn't think anybody was watching. Well, they were watching because you were serving them in love and they've called me up or they've told me, do you know what Fred and Judy Bartlett did? I said, no, it's got to be good though. And they would tell me that you loved when nobody's watching. You're not tooting your own horn. You're not bragging about your own achievements. They provide a place of shelter for tornado ravaged hearts. Hearts that are so twisted, hearts that are so torn up, yet they come along as a safety net and they come along to express God's goodness in the midst of absolute destruction. They never stop believing the best for others. They persevere when under trial. They never accept failure as defeat. They never give up and they never stop loving. They are a rare breed of shepherds that God has given to the body of Christ as overseers of the flock. Of course, we know that Jesus is that chief shepherd. I believe that every ministry is healthier. I believe every ministry uh, is strengthened. It's stronger when it's surrounded by leadership, first of all, that cares. And now I know everybody in the world will tell you, I don't care if you're talking about the marketplace or you're talking about the church, everybody will tell you they care, but the actions is what proves it. When you are surrounded by people who care and people who share the vision of the leadership, you grow strong. Fred and Judy Bartlett love well, and their love never stops loving. I have watched over the years as they have tirelessly and selflessly and generously and thoughtfully and prayerfully and willfully given of their own time and resources to transport people to church, to transport people to and from airports, to transport people to doctor visits and drugstores and grocery stores. I have watched as you have done that. I have watched them meet occasional financial needs as the Holy Spirit moved upon their hearts. And when I was in the hospital with COVID in early November, Fred and Judy even drove an hour to my house to minister to my wife, Valerie. She was capable of driving, but they said, we've got this, we're coming to get you. Friends, no pun intended, but you couldn't pick a better pair than a Bartlett. You really couldn't. Jesus himself selected 12 disciples to accompany his ministry. But his disciples were not bodyguards, they were not maintenance men, and they certainly were not cheerleaders. They were his disciples, and they were his friends. Fred and Judy are our disciples, but they're also our friends. And we want to groom them in this role of assistant pastors, and we will. Jesus knew that his life, he knew that his ministry was abbreviated. It wasn't going to last him very long. And therefore, he took to heart to disciple 12 ordinary men. He did this by showing them the heart of the Father. I love that. A heart of forgiveness and grace. A heart of mercy and kindness. A heart that is in agreement and unified with the symphony of love. Let me ask you a question, okay? In case you're wondering, you're saying, what is the role? Maybe Fred and Judy are wondering that. What is the role of an assistant pastor? What's the role? What's our responsibility? Well, he or she or they 
are there to assist the pastors. Does that make sense? Assistant pastor. It's very much like the Levites assisted the priests in the Old Testament. The assistant pastor position is one that you're invited into. No one makes themselves an assistant manager, an assistant coach. Nobody makes themselves an assistant principal. Assistants are invited by leaders who see special qualities in them. They see special callings on their lives. And then they realize if we're together, you will be beneficial to this ministry. That's what leaders look for. People that will be beneficial to the ministry, not for an ego trip for yourself, but beneficial to the ministry. And it's always here. It's always about the health of the ministry. As I was thinking about that yesterday, I was reminded of the Apostle Paul, and he wrote many books in the New Testament. The last book he wrote in the New Testament, it's not chronologically in the right order, but the last book he wrote was the letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy. What would his words be? He's about to die. In fact, he will get martyred the same year he writes this letter, just a few months later. Here's what his last words look like. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. He said, for I am already being poured out. He's writing from prison. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. What in the world are you talking about? Poured out like a drink offering. In the Old Testament, Leviticus, Numbers, in that area there, when they would do a sacrifice, when the priest was doing a sacrifice of an animal, he was instructed in the word to take strong drink, which would have been wine, fermented wine, and he was to take it and pour it alongside of the altar. Now, to us, that doesn't make any sense, but that's what God asked them to do, and it was just an act of obedience. God had reasons he wanted it done. And so the Apostle Paul, who's very familiar with the Torah, is reaching all the way back, and he's grabbing that language, and he's going, that's what it feels like for me. I'm being poured out. The strong drink, the wine was not poured out along the sides of the altar unless there was a sacrifice on the altar. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm sacrificing my life. My life is being sacrificed, Timothy. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And he's basically from his heart saying, I sacrificed everything everything in me to show the world the gospel of grace. I sacrificed everything to show them and demonstrate and turn up the volume on the symphony of love, Timothy. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. That is the most cleaned up version of saying, Timothy, I'm about to die. He said the time of my departure is near. He says, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's saying, Timothy, I'm trying to make a point here, son. It's over with for me. But I wouldn't give up, Timothy, because love never stops loving. He said, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing, okay? That means you and me, right? And here's what he says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, I want you to do your best to come to me quickly. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, I don't have much time. Timothy, I want to see you again. Timothy, I want to hug you again. Timothy, I want to encourage you again. Timothy, I want to lay hands on you again. Timothy, I want to pray for you again. Timothy, I want to speak into your heart again. Timothy, I want to love you again. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. He says, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Didn't I tell you a few minutes ago that ministry is not always heartwarming? There are times when you're going to get deserted, friends. Times when you're going to get your heart broken. And he is telling Timothy, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. And he says, only Luke is with me. And then here's what he says. 
He says, get Mark and bring him with you. Look at those words. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Isn't that interesting? He's basically saying, I've worked with Mark. We've done some things together. And every time he was beside me, I found him to be a help for me in ministry. He never hindered me before. He never hindered me since. He'll never hinder me again. I'm telling you, there are people who come alongside of you that you'll find in a hurry are a help to you in ministry. Fred and Judy, you are helpers in ministry. And that doesn't mean the rest of you aren't. Today's about them getting set forth. This is their special day. But it's interesting, Paul, he doesn't know if they're going to come for his life tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock in the morning or not, but he's writing as though he's going to live long enough for Timothy to say, Mark, we got to go see Paul. He said you were a help to him in ministry. Beautiful. Friends, Fred and Judy Bartlett have been helpers to this ministry for a long time. I want to be honest with you. I didn't think about it until just now. I can't say for sure we would still be here if it wasn't for Fred and Judy Bartlett. And I mean that with all my heart. I have watched more than one ministry over the years just simply go out of business. That's what they do. They go out of business because they don't have the support. Sometimes it's financial. Many times it is. But the leadership support. So they don't have the people. They don't keep the people. And pretty soon it's just down to one or two people. And they just say, why pay $2,000 a month rent on this building? when uh, you know we have social media. And so you guys have been a real help to this ministry, and I believe we're still standing largely in part because of your hearts and your contributions to this ministry. Assistant pastors must be ready at all times to take the wheel of the ministry should anything happen to the senior pastors. Now, we don't plan on going anywhere, and we plan on keeping the car on the road. We don't plan on passing any bridges, Bob, on the way home. All that stuff is true, but you never know, right? And uh, assistant pastors must always be ready. I got thrust into a senior pastor role. One night I had uh, about 12 hours notice. My pastor called me to the home and said, uh, I'll be resigning tomorrow. I said, what? It broke my heart. I was so close to my pastor. We're still close friends to this day. But sometimes it comes at a moment's notice and you realize that God has called you for such a time as this to step into these roles. And so it's something we take very seriously. All the equipping in the world cannot prepare a person to serve in pastoral ministry the way the symphony of love prepares the way. Would you agree with that? You can go through all the testing, all the Bible college you want, but if you don't love, friends, you're not going to be in ministry very long. Jesus encountered a man who was an expert in the law, but not an expert in love. When it came to love, this man was a violin with one string, a drum with a torn head, a horn with a stuck valve, and a woodwind instrument with no reed. Jesus would use this encounter as the standard of what true love looks like. The gold standard of love, friends, is to lay one's life down for his friends, and that's what Jesus did for us at the cross. He laid down his life for his friends. We see the story in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Very familiar set of scriptures. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law, remember that, okay? An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How many of you know there's nothing you can do? Come on. There's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. It's a gift that's given to you. It's something you receive, but there's nothing you do to inherit eternal life. But this is the question the man is asking Jesus because he lives in a world that is all about doing. It's all about performance. And he says, what must I do? So it's a reasonable question, to be honest with you. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, what is written in the law? Now, the reason Jesus said that is because that's all they had at the time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all that had been written yet, okay? That's all they had. They were under Old Covenant. So Jesus took them back to what he was familiar with. He says, what exactly is written in the law? How do you read it? The man said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Sounds to me like that was fresh on his mind because an evangelist might have just came through there and they told him this is what you need to do. But this is the man's answer, right? Friends, you will encounter people in life that have all the right answers, but no actions. The right rhetoric, but no response. All the right persuasion, but no provision. Love is known by its actions. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never stops loving. And that is the journey that Jesus is asking the expert in the law to walk with him on. So he says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But look at these words. It says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Do you see that word justify? That comes from the Greek word dekaio. It's the same word used for righteousness. In other words, he wanted to make himself righteous. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to declare his own innocence. Friends, I told you a second ago, you cannot, you cannot do this for yourself. This man is wanting to declare himself righteous. By what? By what he's done. By his performance. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Justifying yourself is as impossible as making beautiful music with a violin with one string, a drum with a torn head, a horn with a stuck valve, or a woodwind instrument without a reed. Jesus is about to show the expert in law the impossibility of operating in compassion and thoughtfulness and love when all you see through is the lens of the old covenant commandments. He's going to show them it's impossible for you to love. So in reply, this is what Jesus says. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. There were bandits along the way, friends. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, who's the Levite? <laughs> the assistant pastor. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Friends, no one has been passed by or walked around by Fred and Judy Bartlett. Each one of you can testify to that truth. They have traveled many miles to help meet your need. They have given gifts to encourage you and help you. The priest, he's on his way to the temple. It's at just that time of day, right? And so he used that excuse, I'm on my way to the temple, to pass by on the other side. You see, the priest didn't want to get blood on his freshly washed robe. There are people that we deal with in life that are messy. I get it. They're going to mess all over you, friends. Friends, I got vomited on one time by a man, and I took the time to clean that vomit up, not only on me, but all over the floor. Now, if you would have told me in advance that I would have responded that way. I would have said, you're out of your stark raven mind. There's no way I would do that. But love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated to take quick offense of others. Love joyfully celebrates honesty to, and finds no fault and just always delights in other people. Love never takes failure as defeat for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. What was I doing when I was cleaning the mess up? I was exercising. I was exercising the symphony of love. You see that? You see, the priest 
saw the injured man in this story as an inconvenience, a costly investment of time and treasure. Therefore, he passed by on the other side. The Levite, remember, he's the assistant pastor, did the exact same thing when he approached the injured man. He too passed by on the other side. Where did the Levite learn such inconsideration? Where did the Levite learn such thoughtlessness? Well, it was from the priest. I want to say to the congregation this morning, if you believe that you're in a ministry where shepherds love you well, then don't go looking for a greener pasture. Love! Love is the supreme essence of the new covenant. It operates by grace through faith, but it's about love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So often, we want to go looking for greener pastures. We're just kind of tired. I think every time I see a dead deer on the side of the road, I think, what was wrong with that side of the road? Why did you feel like you had to go over there? It cost you your life. Oh, the pastor looked greener over there. No! Do people love well? Are they speaking gracious words into your heart? Do they help you in your time of need? What else are you looking for? So Jesus continues this story with this man, this man who's an expert in the law. Jesus says, the priest passed by on the other side. The Levite, too, passed by on the other side. And then he brings that conjunction but into view. He said, but a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan had all the reasons not to do what he did. That's a Jewish man laying there on the ground. He's a Samaritan. He had no dealings with the Jews. But it says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, not if I return, but when I return, I'm coming back this way again. You look after my new friend. And he says, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. I'm telling you, the ministry will cost you everything. Your time, your treasure, all kinds of things. And Jesus asked the question, that proverbial question, which of these three, who's the three? Priest, Levite, Samaritan. He said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, I can almost hear him saying it like this. Um, the one who had mercy on him? Almost like with a question mark. Is that the one? It seems like that should be the right answer. Is it the one who had mercy on him? And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And Jesus was saying, look, if that's the way, if love could show up in every situation from the heart, a heart of compassion, a symphony of love, he said, if you had a heart like that, you wouldn't need a new heart. But nobody has a heart like that. Jesus had to come and die, be crucified. All of us were sinners at one time. He would shed his blood for the whole world. So Jesus is showing this man the impossibility of living under the law. And he's showing him the impossibility of always walking in this kind of love. You're not even sure about your own answer. Jesus took the time with the expert in the law to show him what the symphony of love looked like. The symphony of love was expressed by the good Samaritan, first of all, by his thoughtfulness. I want you to remember that, by his thoughtfulness. The scriptures say that he took pity on the injured man. That's thoughtfulness. The symphony of love was expressed by the good Samaritan through tenderness. The scriptures tell us that he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That is tenderness. You have to get up close and personal to be able to treat somebody. The symphony of love was expressed by the Good Samaritan through transportation. The scriptures tell us that he transported this man to an inn on his own donkey so that this man could find respite while healing. 
This is what he provided. This sometimes it's natural. Sometimes it's more emotional. The thoughtfulness, the tenderness, emotional perhaps, but the transportation, very physical. And so when God has us working in people's lives, he will have it in different ways at different times. He provided this transportation. He wanted to make sure that this man didn't just sit up and drink water and that his vitals seemed to get better and then he'd be on his way. No, he wanted to make sure this man was taken to a place where he could recover fully. He provided his transportation. The symphony of love was expressed by the good Samaritan through his treasure. Now that's one we don't like to deal with as much. (laughs) I told you the ministry costs you everything, friends. And you're all in the ministry, by the way. You know that, don't you? Yeah, you're all in the ministry. He provided his treasures. The scriptures tell us that the good Samaritan took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he says, when I come back, if this man has stayed longer than he normally had to stay. He said, I understand he's accrued more rent and I will pay for that thing. He provided treasure to the man who had been attacked by robbers, stripped of his clothes, beaten, abandoned, and left half dead on the side of the road. Beautiful, isn't it? Friends, perhaps you have felt this way at times throughout the years. Did you know that robbers are anyone or anything that robs from you? See, we always think they're talking about the devil here, friends. There's more robbers than the devil, okay? Trying to live your Christian life through the old covenant is a robber and a thief, and it comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It will attack you even though it's good. It will attempt to strip you of your righteousness thoughts. It will beat you, abandon you, and then leave you beside the road half dead. Now, I'm not antinomian. I'm not uh, saying I'm against the law. I'm for the law in terms of what it's intended for. But believers are not under the law. They do not live under the covenant of law. We live under the covenant of grace. It's all by what Jesus has done for us, okay? It is. Friends, Fred and Judy Bartlett have become experts, not in the stringency of law, but in the symphony of love. They are thoughtful and tender. They have given through transportation and treasure. They will not leave you beside the road of despair but will pour oil and wine on your bleeding heart. This oil and wine speaks of a type and shadow of the spirit of grace. That's what the oil and wine is. It's a spirit of grace. Amen. That's their hearts. That's who they are at the core because God has changed them. Fred, you were given the first name Roy at birth. The meaning behind the name Roy is king. A king has many characteristics. First of all, A king is decisive. You have demonstrated decisiveness as a pilot and a commercial airlines captain over the years. How many of you know we're happy that our pilots, our captains, are decisive? We can't have them up there wringing their hands wondering what are they going to do. So Fred had a lot of training in a very natural way to be a decisive person. You have demonstrated the quality of a king by your no man left behind approach to caring for the flock of the church. I've watched that over and over. A king lives with integrity. A king creates and inspires creativity in others. A king blesses the lives of his family. He blesses the lives of his friends. A king even blesses the lives of his foes at times. A king leaves a legacy. Roy Frederick Bartlett, that man is you. Your name translates as king. Your name in the Hebrew is built with three Hebrew letters. Resh, Aleph, Yod. Rahai. Resh, Aleph, Yod. Rahai. I want you to see the meaning behind each of these letters. Resh, first of all, means beginning. Aleph means strength. Yod means hand. Roy Frederick Bartlett, you are living out your name. Your new beginning has been strengthened by the revelation that Father God holds you in his hand and nothing can remove you from his hand. Judy, you were given the name Judith at birth. The meaning behind the name Judith is praise. Your name in Hebrew is pronounced Yehudith. How many of you know there was a Judith before there was a Judah? Come on. Yeah, Judith came first. Your name is pronounced Yehudith. 
More importantly, I want you to see the Hebrew letters that build your first name and the meaning of each of these letters. Your name is made from six Hebrew letters. Yod, He, Vav, Dalet, Yod, and Tav. The letter Yod means hand. The letter He is for grace. The letter Vav means connecting. It literally speaks of connecting heaven to earth. The very first time the Vav is used, that, that letter is used in the Bible, is in the very first scripture of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The Vav is used there, and it's symbolic of connecting the heaven to earth. You see, it's just like a straight line that connects heaven to earth. The letter Dalet means to lift up the poor person. It kind of shows a letter that looks like it's bent over, like you're poor and you're just walking along, poor me. That's what Dalet stands for. It's the poor person, but it means to lift them up. The Yod again is hand. And then we have Tav. Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a beautiful letter. It speaks of truth. It speaks of perfection. It speaks of completeness is what it does. Judith Bartlett, you are living out your name. Hand of grace, connecting heaven and earth, lifting up the poor person, reaching out to them with the hand of truth, with the message of perfection and completeness. I don't know how you can get any more beautiful than that, friends. I really don't. I am so proud of you guys. And you are living out that name, the name that God inspired your parents to give you in everyday life, in everyday application. We are going to be proud to receive you into this ministry in just a moment. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Let's ask the question once again. Remember when I asked you to imagine that you were the senior pastor of your own church? If you were the senior pastor of your own church, what qualifications would you look for in an assistant pastor? Would it be someone who knows how to do the two-step around those who have fallen and can't get up? I wouldn't be interested in anybody like that. How about someone that falls apart like an Etch-a-Sketch when shaken? I wouldn't be interested in that either because there are going to be times when we get shaken. How about someone who is easily irritated and triggered by another person's words or actions? Friends, we have to be temperate here in the ministry. Or how about someone who insists on justifying themselves through the stringency of law rather than through the symphony of love? Would you be interested in someone like that? I'm not interested in someone like that. Friends, ministry can be very heartwarming, but at the same time, it can be very heartbreaking. You see, as pastors, we run into people all the time that are lying beside the road with bleeding hearts. People that even their own, even their own spiritual brothers and sisters have walked around because they didn't know what to do with them. They didn't know what to say to them. They didn't know how to fix them. They didn't know how to speak into their lives. They didn't know how to draw them out. They didn't know how to transport them from one place to another. They didn't know how to treat them with oil and wine. They didn't know how to put them on a donkey. They didn't know how to do all this stuff. People with broken strings, torn heads, stuck valves without reeds. They may have not been beaten physically, but they've been worked over emotionally, spiritually, typically by placing themselves under the demands of the old covenant doctrine. Friends, the Father's heart is to restore broken instruments. How does he do this? Through the revelation of unconditional love and unconditional grace. They are the very tools in his hand for restoration. The scriptures tell us that we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we are not saved, listen to me carefully, by our own good works, but others can be. You see, the man that the robbers left for half dead in the story was saved by the good works of the Samaritan. So you are not saved by anything you've done, but we have the ability, the privilege to reach out to others and save them, not in a terms of a spiritual way, but we can speak things into their hearts. I've seen that happen time and time and time again, hundreds of times. 
as I've done street ministry and other types of ministry and watch God take some of the hardest core people and soften their heart in a second. They weren't saved by good works, but they were saved through my good work. Do you understand? I'm not the Savior, friends. Don't get me wrong here. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus is the only Savior there is. But they are saved through your good works. Remember what I told you? Love has to be expressed to be seen. You can't know it unless it's seen or heard or felt somehow. Let's ask that question again. What are the qualifications for an assistant pastor? A love for God, a love for the Word, and a love for people. Anything more than that is peripheral. Anything less than that is pitiful. These are but three. I'm telling you, they are only three of the intrinsic qualities that are clearly identifiable in Fred and Judy Bartlett's lives. They have a love for God. They have a love for the Word. They have a love for people. Certificates hanging on the wall are meaningless if there is no love hanging from the heart. Fred and Judy have lived out their names. The kind king reaching out with the hand of grace, connecting heaven and earth, lifting up the poor person, reaching out to them with the hand of truth, with the message that through Jesus' finished work on the cross, the Father has made you perfect and complete. Friends, the revelation of God's grace can be heard through the woodwinds of the orchestra. The revelation of God's love for us is like the brass section of the symphony bellowing these majestic tones and sounds. The revelation of Jesus' finished work on the cross is heard in the gentle percussion of His beating heart. And the revelation of the Father's mercy is like those stringed instruments in the orchestra working together to produce beautiful and harmonious sounds. Sounds that ring with grace and truth. Sounds that are in agreement and unification with one another. All of these instruments serving together as the conductor of the symphony of love in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you so much for this word. I think in the church we have walked around so many people because we didn't know how to operate in this love even in our own lives. But I thank you, Father, that there's just no more of that. It's just senseless. I thank you, Father, that a love for you and a love for your word and a love for people is what this is all about. Love others. Love yourself even. Anything that we're trying to put on our plate other than this love is just peripheral. And anything less than operating that is just pitiful. So I thank you, Father, that you don't throw away broken instruments, but you have a way of taking them to the carpenter's shop. And in that carpenter's shop, you drip this gospel of love and this gospel of grace and this gospel of mercy into our hearts so that we might be able to see, that we might be able to hear what the symphony of love is speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.